Father, we just pray that your spirit could speak in spite of the weakness of this vessel, that each heart could hear your voice, and that we could be drawn forth even as Lazarus from the very tomb, that we could be brought alive again, and that, Lord, our purpose that you've created us for could be fulfilled. Father, we know that we need to redeem the time, and we just pray for the grace to respond while there is yet time, as we heard so clearly this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For our reading this afternoon, let's turn together to the book of Revelations, chapter 12, the 12th chapter of Revelations. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth with birth pains, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Micah and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. I'll conclude with the, the 13th verse and let's uh, consider together what, uh, what we have described to us here. I think the Lord is making it clear that we have an adversary. We've got multiple names 
that's given. This is the one place in scripture where they're all put together. And so we know they all refer to the one and the same evil power. Uh, he's named Satan. He's named devil. He's named uh, the, the great dragon. He's named serpent. And it's clear that these are all synonymous. These are all multiple names given to the same power. And the devil and Satan are referring to an adversary, someone who is against us and against God. And we see through the serpent, his subtlety, his ability to sleek, sneak and slither and deceive. In fact, it talks about how he deceived the entire world. And the red dragon, we see the power and the intimidation that he uses as well. So we have this evil power on the one side. And on the other side, we see a good God who has a plan to save us. And this plan involves a woman who is going to bear a child. Uh, we can, with the, the, the 12 stars, we, we can understand that this is uh, clearly that the child, it's unambiguous that, that the one who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, that's Jesus, right? And so he was born of, of the Jewish people, and he, was, uh, and he fulfilled his purpose. Satan was there thinking he was going to thwart God's purposes, and he was going to destroy that child as soon as it was born. And, and there's multiple fulfillments of this. You know, there's the Herod waiting to destroy every child under the age of two. And there is the actual crucifixion, which we read in Corinthians that Satan didn't get it. He didn't understand, else he would not have crucified the Lord of glory, is, is what the scripture is saying. He didn't understand that he was actually fulfilling God's plan of redemption. But Jesus is then caught up to God and to his throne. And uh, the woman is, is, uh, um, is fleeing into the wilderness. She is protected in a remote place for a period of time. Now, there are parts here that I, I have to admit I don't understand in detail. There's this, this idea of three and a half years that's repeated in Scripture. And, and it's referred to, interestingly, in multiple ways. Here we have it counted in days. 1,260 days, then there's time, times and a half, which if we consider a time a year, it's again three and a half time, one times two and a half, so that would be three and a half, and in other places referred to in months. So there's something special, prophetic, that we will get when we're there about this three and a half year period. That's going to be uh, very intense. Now, this, this, this evil dragon with his tail drags out one-third of um, the, is it, the, say, stars here, right? Um, third part of the stars of heaven and brings them down the earth. And, and we understand, you know, because later on it spells out that the dragon and his angels are fighting and the dragon is cast out of the earth and his angels are cast out with him. We understand that is the one-third part of the angels are being carried away with this rebellion. Now, 
this initial rebellion happened way back, but you know the, then there's this war in heaven. And we see the, the, that Michael is the archangel, the head angel of God's armies, and he's fighting against Satan, the dragon, with his angels. And now Satan is denied access. He loses the war in heaven. He's denied access. He's now constrained to the earth. And this is the point I want us to, to, to capture. What is Satan's attitude? Like I, I, there's a lot of things here I cannot spell out for you, but there's enough that's plain. Satan is constrained to the earth, and he knows his time is short, right? And he is very angry. And so heaven is reprieved. Heaven is spared because the devil and his angels are cast out for there. But woe to the earth, he says, because... The devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has only a short time left. Do you get the sense that things are speeding up? Do you get the sense that something is going on in this planet and it's it's at a pace we've never seen before. It's, it's accelerating. Now, there are a lot of people are digging in to various theories about, you know, who's really behind the change. We have a number of theories about the World Economic Forum, Davos, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, there's various theories out there. Clearly, the Bible isn't going to tell you if any or all of those theories are true. But it does tell us that there is an evil force who feels under time pressure to get his agenda done. And he hates God, he's very angry, he's a sore loser, and it's us, the people left on earth, that are going to feel that pain. And um, he is going to specifically here, it says, make war with the seed of the woman, and it gets clear, those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So now there's no ambiguity. This is not the Jews. This is those who believe in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to, to um, I think a lot of energy is wasted in trying to uncover the devil's plan and the details of it. He's very wily, deceitful, and uh, we need to be not ignorant of his devices, but the problem is when we start thinking that the pawns that the devil are using are the real enemy, and we expend our energy 
I think someone was talking to me this morning about how Twitter is a rage fest, I think was the, the phrase, how it's just engineered to produce a certain amount of outrage in you against, you know, the dumb people or whatever, the people that you disrespect on the other side, that you no longer, you know, consider to be worthy. And um, here it's clear the, there's a war in heaven that's moved to this planet, and you've got an enemy who's under time pressure, and what's our role? How do we fight against this evil force? In the center, so, so, so number one, time is short. Number two, we need to also be aware of that and we need to take action. How do you overcome someone who is so powerful they have one-third of all the angels at their disposal? They're this big, raging, red dragon that you personally cannot take on. And you may say, well, I can, you know, you know, expose certain things on the internet and maybe, maybe there are things you need to expose, but we need to be careful we don't get sucked in to fighting fire with fire and on the internet there's a lot of flame wars going on. What do we see here? How did the brethren overcome the devil, the Satan, the red dragon, what does the Bible say is our weapons and our focus for overcoming evil on this planet? Well, the evil one has his agenda in verse 10. In verse 10 he says what he's trying to do is accuse He's trying to go even before God and trying to disqualify you by exposing everything you've done wrong. Not only to you, but also to a watching world. So that you're discredited, you are disqualified, you're off the field. And how do you overcome him? Verse 11, right, if you want to read it. There's three things that we need to focus on, on this war. The blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Jesus gave us the power to overcome these accusations, not only the accusations of the world, even the accusations in your own mind where you yourself disqualify yourself and you feel like you have no right to take on sin, evil, lies, take a position for Christ in this world. And to take on the very courtrooms of heaven where Somehow, Satan is still accusing the brethren. You, 
in the blood of the Lamb is number one. It's not number two. It's not after living a good life. It's in the scripture, you know, live in such a way that no one will believe the accusations. It's in there in Peter. But here, number one is the blood of the Lamb. And we need to believe that we are washed. We are covered, that, that God's, Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf is what ultimately makes us clean in the sight of God beyond re- the devil's reproach and beyond his shame and guilt that he uses to immobilize you in his battle for this earth. If you believe that, then the helmet of salvation is able to protect you from all those negative thoughts and all, and all of um, all the mental warfare. Number two. So we said we're, we're, we're in a war and it's crunch time. And Enemies trying to disqualify you by his accusations. You need to believe in Christ's redemptive work on your behalf. Two. Then second thing is by the word of your testimony. Now if this was just a typical maybe apostolic Christian response it would be by your testimony. Live in such a way that the enemy doesn't believe or that no one will believe these accusations, as Peter says. And that is very important to have a testimony that you are not disqualified by living a lie, by contradicting the word of God by your lifestyle, by your choices. That doesn't mean you're perfect because that's why we need the blood of the Lamb. But you, your, your testimony needs to be consistent. But my point is that it includes the word of your testimony. It's not enough to give a silent testimony of your actions. We need to take an actual stand and to stick our necks out, and to give the glory to God and the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done with his blood and for whatever good he's able to accomplish in our lives. That our testimony isn't that we're nice people. Our testimony is that God is good. And that needs to be expressed. That requires a certain amount of boldness it requires a certain amount of going on the offensive because the time is short and because the people around you are collateral damage our captives are being destroyed and deceived and instead of channeling our energy into getting angry 
with the lies and the deceit that is going on on us and, and against whatever human powers might be, you know, the instruments of the devil. We want to direct our attack against the devil himself. And we do that by testifying to the truth. The word of our testimony that is not based on any political position. It's based on what Jesus has done for us and for them and on the, on, on the indisputable truth of the word of God. This requires courage because right now things are really looking grim. That the devil who is having great wrath has certainly gotten himself certain levers of power in education, in politics, in, uh, you know, even at our workplace, economically, Looks like he's going for food supply next, if we can interpret stuff that's going on. He's gotten lots of levers of power. And so the next point of our defensive strategy to overcome the devil is that we, those who overcame the devil were by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and the third one, if you're reading and following along verse 11, is because they love not their lives unto the death. My dear friends and brothers and sisters, it may come down to that. It may come down to that. Now, up till now, when I have preached on this passage, it's been figurative. We need to die to our self-will. We need to die to our pride. We need to die to, to the flesh. We need to mortify the sin that is in our bodies. We need to be able to let go of all the things that we heard this morning. The rich young man was hanging on to maybe that last 5% so that he had his dignity, his power, and didn't really surrender it all to God. And each of us has our own things that we're hanging on to. And that's very true because you can't resurrect with Jesus unless you die with Jesus. And so that understanding of dying is very biblical. But it may come down to being willing to give up our very lives for what we believe. This would not be the first time in history that Christians have been faced with that. After all, our own forefathers two generations back you know, including perhaps those who were not yet baptized had to face that decision. We're going to war. Are you going to take the gun? You know, it's that or get shot or, you know, in prison for decades or whatever. And even those who did not get baptized even took a stand. Although I wanted to give Brother Paul a chance to testify because he wanted to to add to his testimony this morning. He talked about his his mother, by the grace of God, having an opportunity with the very last words she understood and could communicate that she had a faith in the, the blood of the lamb. But he's concerned about his siblings. 
who are risking their eternal salvation and have not made right with God, even though some of them appear to be on death's door. And so I want to challenge those who are not ready that they realize that this isn't just, oh, we're going through some interesting times. This may not be the final three and a half years. I cannot say that with certainty, but I can say that there is an enemy raging on this planet who is your personal adversary, who wants to hurt God by dragging you down with him. And I can say the time is short and is shrinking. And you want to make sure that you're ready. I remember taking my kids to the, the zoo. We used to live out by uh, edge of Scarberia there. And we went to the zoo often. And uh, one of the attractions they really liked was the uh, Komodo dragon. Uh, top of the food chain on whatever those islands were, I don't know how many miles an hour it could run. It was a huge, ferocious lizard that could take down anything, horses and everything else. Um, but there was this one nice, like, bronze statue of a Komodo dragon that the kids could safely sit on and, and imagine themselves riding. And I was, uh, I was, we were going to church, probably. That's where we get all our long conversations, good 40 minutes to church. And uh, one of our kids was in the back seat and expressing, man, it would be nice to ride a Komodo dragon like a real one alive. And um, yeah, not a good idea right now because you might become a snack, but there will come a time. Uh, the Bible talks about it a few chapters later here where, where Jesus is going to come back. He's going to reverse the curse and uh, even ferocious Komodo dragons will become gentle. The, 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 the predators will become, you know, tame. And there will be no more killing even among animals. And so you will be able to ride a Komodo dragon. You know, that's, you know, chapter 20 uh, of Revelations. But we've got to go through chapter, the, chap the previous chapters. And there is this intense period, the, the tribulation that goes before that. And during that period... We need to stay faithful to Jesus. In fact, what we see described here is that one of the common things that is going to happen to people who profess faith in Jesus Christ is they're going to have their heads chopped off. It says that, you know, though in chapter 20, those that had their heads cut off for their faith in Jesus Christ were the ones participating in that first resurrection and enjoying this millennium. And uh, I guess my little child got it and he was happily jumping up and down the back seat saying get my head chopped off and ride a komodo dragon he he summarized my entire um uh version of uh prophecy there but um i, I that may sound humorous and hit that childlike understanding but we heard this morning that we need childlike faith and we need to realize it will come down, maybe getting your head figuratively chopped off as you stand up for truth about gender and about uh, you know, uh, other biblical topics of what it 
what the Bible stands for as you don't compromise and you don't just duck, you don't just avoid, but you actually stand up for the truth and by the word of your testimony of Jesus Christ, because those are the ones he's angry with, is those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ are going to be targets. Now you might lose your job. You might have your bank account frozen. You might become a persona non grata of many different forms. Eventually, you may get your head literally chopped off. But we need to be prepared to go the whole way and to not love our lives even to the death. Because this is short goes the other way you see satan's got a short time in a short time jesus is going to come back and even if you had your head chopped off you'll be raised and you'll be living in the glorious restored paradise on this planet and it didn't matter that you missed three and a half years maybe of this planet's worst turmoil in history and woke up in paradise and were restored and came down and as victory prayed you're not going to regret getting your head chopped off but if you submit and you lose your testimony and you cower and you lose your spiritual head, then you'll wake up to regret. You'll miss the first resurrection and wake up on the second and be standing where the books are opened. And instead of being judged by the blood of the lamb and having every accusation of the enemy being silenced by the blood of the lamb you'll have to stand on your own strength in your own righteousness as those books are opened and those who are not found in the lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire so the time is short we need to be bold, we need to be busy, and we need to realize losing stuff for a short amount of time, it's worth it. It's worth it. May the Lord bless his word. So I was teaching um, this week in camp. I was assigned the 14-year-old. I was a little bit nervous. It's been some 43 years since I was 14, so. Uh, but to help me out, they gave me a, a, a young man uh, to, to work with and to be my co-teacher. He's uh, Jonathan Petrovich, and very passionate young man, loves the Lord. And uh, the final day, <clears throat> he shared a little bit of his testimony as we, we wanted to encourage these young people not to go on the, what's commonly referred to the counseling carousel. Uh, where, you know, you start on, sun, on, on, on camp, you know, you have this, you feel the presence of the Lord, you're inspired, you counsel with the ministers, you go back to school, you get distracted, you fall off the carousel, and you try to get back on next summer. And uh, he shared how he, he had done that. He was counseling with the ministers uh, from age 11 till 18. And... Uh, And the final thing that kind of broke that cycle, he was uh, leading up to camp, 
there was some girl who was kind of pursuing him and he knew he would not feel right sitting in camp with, with that hanging over him and he had to break off that relationship and uh, he came to camp and he had a really great experience and you know he's speaking up in Bible class learning lots in the forums, counseling with the ministers, and he, he went home, he thought, you know, he had a good camp. But God didn't think that was enough. And God put a focus on that. Uh, he was sleeping in David Awe's basement in Mansfield by himself, and in the middle of the night, he woke up, and he, he, he thought he woke up, and, and he could see in the doorway silhouetted this this dark shadowy figure with a crown and uh, he, he could almost feel the evil palpably like as in humidity as in in the feeling of a of, of, of a prey that knows that something's about to to devour it and he was terrified and he started screaming for David Awe to come there's some intruder in the house and he dived underneath the bed and uh, this this evil figure just walked into the room and reached under the bed and grabbed him by his left arm and, and, and pulled him out face to face, although he, he couldn't make out the face, it was just indistinct, and, and he was just frozen in fear. And then his, his focus widened, and he realized there was another figure in the doorway, but this one was was also a crown, but was exuding light, was white and bright, and, and he woke up, and God, why did you show this to me? Why did you give me this particular vision? It was so vivid, he thought he was actually awake the whole time. And he felt God distinctly telling him that, that the world had a hold on him. And he needed to make a decision whether he was going to let the Lord have a hold on him or let the world have that hold on him. That, that the only way out of this whole, and he, he literally felt that grip on his left arm for the next three days. Uh, the only way he was going to free himself was through committing himself completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. No more, I've done well, I'm in a good place spiritually, I can coast, but to completely die to himself and put himself underneath that blood of the lamb and so i want to encourage our dear friends to to please don't think you have time and don't go through a cycle make your commitment 100 percent because we're we're dealing with a very evil force who thinks he's running out of time that will conclude this afternoon service